Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode of Talking Trading. I'm Christopher Tate and I'll be taking you through some of the things I found interesting during the past week, things that have occurred in markets that have caught my eye. However, before we begin, a few pieces of parish news to get out of the way first. The first is the notion that I will be discussing markets in a very general form. Uh, There's no specific advice given whatsoever. The second is many of you will be picking this up on the podcast feed such as iTunes Since I'm talking about markets and I'm displaying a lot of charts, you will get the most benefit for this if you head over to our YouTube channel, where you can find us at youtube.com slash tradinggame, and you'll get the full benefit of seeing this in video. Now, in terms of the big picture, in terms of what has occurred in a macro sense that I consider to be moving markets, there's a few things that have caught my eye. And there's a few little caveats in there that I want to explore as well. The first thing I want to do is look at this notion of where do the world's major indices sit? And this is a little graphic I use to guide me in terms of not trading the index per se, but trading the stocks within the index. So this is designed as a long-term filter. It's not a filter for daily trading of the index itself. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But as you can see, it's a mixed bunch. And it is a little bit confused in places. Because, for example, in Europe, you have the CAC 40 and the FTSE on, but you have the DAX off. Intriguingly, the DAX is, over time, perhaps we will say the best performer of that little group of three. And there is a little quirk in the FTSE that I'll talk about in a moment. In the US, you can see that the S&P 500 is on, but the much broader Russell 2000 for me is still neutral. That is neither bullish nor bearish. It is just sitting there marking time, waiting for my system to generate a signal. You'll also see that the NASDAQ 100 is neutral as well, despite having a fairly reasonable short-term recovery from the bear market it has been in. But again, as I said, This is designed to guide the notion of investment within these indices in terms of the stocks that make them up. It is not for a shorter term system that trades the index per se. For example, the NASDAQ 100 has given a buy signal, as has the Russell 2000, as has the S&P 500 on the shorter term, but not in terms of committing capital to individual shares. And you'll see for us here in Australia, our market, for me, is sitting as neutral. It's neither here nor there. It really hasn't made up its mind in the longer term for equity investment. Now, I mentioned there was a quirk in the FTSE 100. 
And this is a quirk that applies to all markets. So you need to be aware of the nuance of this sort of very, very blunt tool. Here it says the FTSE 100 is on. And it is. But the problem is, it's on right below major resistance. So the question is, how much, if anything, does the FTSE have left in it? And as you can see, much like we have done, it's really struggled to recover from that little COVID pop. It has drifted up and is slowly, ever so slowly, trying to get out of this longer-term drawdown. So you need to be aware of what the bigger picture is. So once you have a tool that tells you one particular story, you have to step back and actually take a more refined and more granular look at what's happening so that you don't really just go off blindly at committing capital to markets that might not have that much potential upside for you. So in terms of looking at the relative performance of various instruments over the past week, one thing here that stands out to me, and that is simply the notion that almost everything is green, particularly commodities such as softs and grains. You can see the likes of cotton, oats, coffee, soy meal, soybeans and the like. But there's also been some decent performance in some of the precious metals. And what, interest, what is also interesting is at the bottom of the chart. It is the performance of the US dollar and the VIX. The performance of the VIX in dropping, almost 6%, is this notion that markets or equity markets, as we've seen, are starting to move to this risk-on stance. Whereas in the past they'd been risk-off because of this sort of aura of rising interest rates that I'll talk about in a second. But that undercurrent, that tone that has been infecting markets might actually be changing. So in terms of markets of interest, the first thing that caught my eye this week were the foreign exchange markets. And in particular, the performance of the US dollar. We have to be a little bit careful here because this is a very short-term performance comparison. But I want you to concentrate on the top line. And the top line looks at the relative performance for the past five trading days of the US dollar versus various counterparts. Ignore the last two columns because nobody really cares what happens in Sweden or Norway. I don't know why they're included in this chart. But you can see that the US dollar had a very bumpy week. It was modestly poor against the euro, but very, very poor against the Aussie and the Kiwi. But it was also poor against the Japanese yen, which in the past it had been extremely strong against. So if we take a broader look, a step back, this is a one-year comparison. And you can see the differential. You can see that in this, the US dollar was a very, very, very strong performer against the Japanese yen. And that seems to be slowing. That seems to be unwinding at present, which does raise the question as to why this has occurred. And the answer is really, I think, quite simple. And as with all things to do with markets, it has to do with perception. This is the US 30-year T-bond yield. So think of it as an interest rate, which is what it is. And you can see from the beginning of the year, 
we've had this increase in interest rates and a perception of further increases in interest rates. You'll see in the past six weeks that perception has changed, that this yield has begun to fall. And we need to put this into context. One of the things that confuses people is the notion that markets don't react immediately to something they hear today. And that's because markets are future pacing. They look forward. So when a piece of news comes out and says that the headline inflation rate is unchanged from month to month, people don't think about what that means for them today. They think about what that means for the coming year. Markets look forward. They don't look at today. And this often catches people out when they're looking for explanations as to why things occurred. So when you look at the notion of interest rates and you look at the driver of what we perceive to be the driver of interest rates, which is this notion of inflation and an attempt to lift the handbrake on the economy, traders are not looking at the impact of that today. They're looking at the impact of that in a year, 18 months from now. And you need to build that into your thinking so that you're not caught off guard by moves. And this next slide simply just, uh, it makes two points. One is about history, and the other is about the idiocy of traders, and perhaps the idiocy of markets in general, and their commentary. This is the effective funds rate, so it's the US Federal Reserve's interest rate. This is the thing that everybody talks about. And you'll notice it, it's a very blocky looking chart, but that's simply the way it is, because uh, Interest rates in, in this criteria, in this environment, are sort of a, a punctuated equilibrium where they will stay static for a bit and then they'll jump by a quanta. There is no gradual increase. So they have this staircase effect. And one of the things you will see is at the time of the GFC, interest rates were, let's call it approximately double what they were now. There was then a loosening. We then had a decade of very, very low interest rates. And it is here there's this notion of recency bias catches traders. Traders who came to the markets in those periods, this period of very flat interest rates, simply made the assumption that that is the way the world is forever. And they didn't have the experience to look at a chart like this and in fact even go back further and say to themselves, well, interest rates are cyclical. They move because the economy is a dynamic thing. It is a very, very vibrant energetic ecology that changes over time. It's not static. It's not fixed. It's not a statue that sits in the corner for 500 years and never moves. It is very, very fluid. And as you can see, one of the things that is intriguing is that investors simply seem to have forgotten the fact that interest rates were slightly higher two and a half, three years ago. That, that seems to completely slip their mind. And as a result, when we got interest rates moving, uh, they all wet the bed because they assumed that this was the end of the world and that interest rates would never go down again. And it was such an anathema to the way they think that it caught them all off guard and it blindsided them all. And if you listen to the commentary around markets, you can see how much hand-wringing and bedwetting went on. And that's simply because... The majority of traders slash investors don't understand history, 
They simply do not look back further than what happened last week. And they think that's deep time. Deep time is the pattern of interest rates over the past 100 years. And it it gives you this sense that the world's not static. Therefore, investing and trading is not static. You need to be fluid and dynamic and go with what the market does. But as our little comparison table showed us, the US dollar has weakened against other currencies, notably the Aussie and the Kiwi. And this is the Aussie US cross rate. And you can see this pop where we popped from mid 66 to about 72, no, 71 and there are bits. And you can see there is some upside resistance just below 73 where we failed before. But given the nature of foreign exchange and for short-term traders, uh, that quanta, that differential, still offers a trading opportunity for those who are aggressive. And it does in some way signal or indicate that not that the world has changed, but that the world might be changing, that perceptions that were valid a week ago are no longer valid. The same thing is true in looking at the Kiwi, you get a similar pattern where you have this pop from a low, you have overhead resistance where it's failed before, but you still have a little bit of room to manoeuvre. Again, for those who are aggressive, this offers space for trading. But what is interesting about the movement in the US at present is the lack of real movement against the euro. And the euro is the real true counterpart to the US dollar. It is the other world major currency. And as you can see in this chart, we've had some slowing of the downtrend, but the downtrend continues. And this is even more apparent when we look at a weekly chart, when we take a step back and look at what the longer term might be. It is this notion of looking back at the longer term that is actually very, very valuable for traders and is something that should be built into everybody's routine. It should be something you do all the time. Try and work out where you sit in the grand scheme of things. And what we see with this weekly chart is the euro is bounded. And yes, it's a very large bounded trading range and it can be traded. And at present, using weekly data, the euro sits at the bottom of that trading range where it's found a degree of support. And should that downtrend that has been in place now for some time end, then there is substantial upside to the euro. But it is only if this particular downtrend ends. And at present in the shorter term, there's no indication one way or another that it has or it hasn't. The market is simply marking time. It's trying to decide, again, whether what prevailed last week, last month, will prevail in the future. And when it works that out, it will make a decision as to where it wants to go. In terms of actionable ideas for foreign exchange, there is one standout this week, and it is the weakness of the pound against the Aussie. You can see here that it is broken through support. And it's a 
fairly confident break below support. You can see that price channeled and channeled for some time and then has dropped out of that channel. And so we think of this as we think of any form of standing or technical analysis, break from congestion. Whenever you get a break from congestion, they are reasonably reliable signals that have a reasonable probability of success. Moving on to indices. Again, there's only one that stands out to me for an actionable idea for the coming week, and that is the Nikkei. I have cheated a little bit with this chart because I've actually plotted the futures contract. And I've plotted the futures contract because it is smoother. It's, it does not look uh, very much like a dog's breakfast. When you chart the Nikkei simply using the prices for it and it alone, not the futures contract, it does tend to look a little bit of a mess. And I find that distracting. So I prefer the fluidity of the futures contract. And so I'm looking for a break above this point for this week, a confirmed break, before I will begin to go long this particular index. There is, however, a little bit of trap that I want to mention for CFD traders. And that is, this, this chart is taken from IG's internal charting platform. And you'll note the candle that I have highlighted there with the red arrow. And it shows a break above this particular line of resistance. That's a false candle. And by that I mean that is one of IG's internally generated candles for Saturday trading. I discount those sorts of moves. For me, a true move will come with confirmation of the market being fully open on Monday. Sometimes it works people going early. Most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time by going early, you simply introduce friction to the trading system and friction costs money. You are much better to wait for a true confirmed signal arising from a true trading session. Moving on to commodities, which is where I found a lot of the interest this week. First one I look, want to look at is soybean oil. And we're, we're seeing this risk on approach with commodities again. They've had the sequence of very, very strong runs and they seem to be bubbling along again. And we can see this break here that soybean oil has made. We get a similar very strong break in cotton, which has been very, very strong this week. Interestingly enough, uh, we've also had this sort of bouncing gold. Uh, those of you who've listened to me before know that I don't think there's anything special about gold. Uh, the unfortunate thing about gold is every time it goes up five cents, my LinkedIn profile goes mental with people proclaiming this is, this is the new bull market in gold and it's going to $10,000. In that respect, they're merely the other generation's bunch of zealots in much the same way that this current generation are uh, very enthusiastic about Bitcoin and every time it moves. For many in their psyche, it serves the same function. 
it serves this notion of entertainment slash gambling. But we do have this somewhat solid base of support in this band, and we are getting movement up and out of that band. Gold of late has been banded. If we would expand this chart out, you would see that there is a reasonably large congestion band. But given that that congestion band is five $600 wide, it's eminently tradable. And all you need is some form of lift out of that. But one of the things you'll notice here about this particular chart with gold is gold's a dirty-looking chart. And by that I mean it is quite indecisive. You'll see there are lots of long tails for each of these candles indicating that the decision-making around price is uncertain. And you can see it in this slight move up that we've had in recent times. You're getting lots of long tails. They're not really certain that this is the right thing to do. And this plays out in the notion of price discovery. What you really want when you see these sorts of breaks is if we refer back to cotton, are these nice, strong, blocky, open candles where you have this affirmation of what is happening with price. You have a confidence with what is happening. When we look back at gold, we don't, we don't see that. And in many ways, I think this is related to my, my view of the changing place of gold in the hearts and minds of traders. In the old days, back when the world was in black and white, when I first started trading, gold was the thing, the be-all and end-all. It was the trading instrument. The world's changed since then dramatically. And gold has been displaced. And in many ways, it's been displaced back to the point of simply being an industrial commodity with a degree of speculative element to it. Irrespective of what the mad survivalists say, come the end of the world, that you should buy gold, its place has changed because the world has moved from being analogue to digital. And once assets become digital, it means that things like foreign exchange, which can be moved instantly and quickly and in vast quantities, displace previous instruments that might have done that. But that's a little history lesson. In terms of the last actionable idea I have, and this is something I'm waiting upon, and this is heating oil. The energy complex in the past 15, 18 months has been extremely interesting. And we can see this congestion period here. And we can see that I'm looking for a break probably above the 380 mark before I will commit myself to a long position. But the interesting thing about the energy complex in and of itself has been its volatility of late. Despite all the events that are going on in the world, we're getting a lot of movement around a point, but we're not getting breakout movements, which is disappointing many of the pundits out there who've been predicting the end of the world. But that is simply the nature of things. Again, markets are future pacing. So just as every other commodity in all FX markets and Equities markets look forward. Energy markets look forward as well. And they are attempting to, in some way, predict what their operating environment will be in the coming year, 18 months. And so I'm just waiting upon this to occur.
So that's my view of the world for the past week. And just to remind people who are picking this up on a podcast, don't forget to head over to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash training game. Subscribe and you can pick up uh, the video of what I've been talking about. So until the next market wrap, I'll see you again.